Welcome to Boomies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 72. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 1993 movie, The Fugitive. So, Charles, tell us about The Fugitive. Okay, so a renowned doctor is wrongfully convicted uh, of the murder of his wife and sentenced to death. But he managed to manages to escape from prison and he goes to seek out his wife's true killer, who is a one-armed man who uh, infiltrated his apartment and uh, killed her. Uh, and all the, all the while, he's being pursued by a U.S. Marshal team trying to catch him and bring him back t- to prison. And in the end, he ends up finding the killer and discovering that the murder was an attempt to cover up pharmaceutical fraud because they manipulated the test results for a new drug and they were going to make a ton of money on this drug if it passed but it wasn't supposed to pass because it like destroys people's livers and that was the real reason that they tried to kill him and ended up killing his wife and then the u.s marshal who's been pursuing him gets all this evidence and uh helps him out and then they drive off into the night into the sunset together yeah yeah it's beautiful uh, this was my selection. It was uh, to watch the fugitive, and it, actually, I, I, before we dig into why, Crossman, you said that you were surprised that I selected this movie, and I'm, I wonder why you were surprised. I think of this movie as just being like a dumb action movie. Okay, and that it is. There's a lot of dumb stuff in here. That was a surprising pick for you because okay. of that. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of dumb stuff in here. Part of the reason yeah. I picked it is I hadn't seen it in a while, and I just wanted to watch it. Yeah, to see if it still held up. So it was kind of a selfish pick in that sense. Um, I also thought it was something that Charles might actually like, which I do consider now and then. Not often, but occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> so that was another reason. Um, and also, like, it, it connects to the solo movie coming out, and I just wanted to watch something that was Harrison Ford related. And, and here he is. And more Tommy Lee Jones in your life is, like, always a good thing, I think. So yeah. I also selected He's great. for that reason. He's great here. He's great in general. Yeah. Um, I think it still mostly works, right? Like, the, the plotting is all over the place, especially at the end. But the, the action scenes, like, in the first two-thirds of the movie or so, are rock solid, right? I think they function really, really well for the most part. The performances are strong, especially from Tommy Lee Jones, who got an Oscar for this. Um, and it, I think it, in terms of how this movie is relevant within cinema at large, it's kind of the first example of a successful TV to film adaptation. And I think it is relevant in that sense, both because of this movie itself is good and that The Fugitive, the TV show, kind of pioneered serialized television at a time when that really was not a thing at all. Um, So those reasons, that's why I picked it. And I'm glad I did. Like, I mostly liked it. Like, I think it it held up pretty okay for me. I've I've only ever interacted with this movie on on TV. Right. On TVS or whatever. It's on all the time. Yeah. And... So I actually realized that I haven't seen the first like five minutes of this movie because that would always come in like kind of in the middle. And then, like, I feel like I've seen this movie on TV before, not like the whole movie, but I've seen that it was on TV and passed sure. by it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It feels like every time I'm always at the scene where he's at the dam and ready to jump. I'm literally I've literally only seen that <laughs> snippet of the movie. That's the best part. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's, it always ends up on there when I start watching it on TV. It yeah, well, and that scene, like, even if they're not showing the movie, if you're going to show a clip from The Fugitive, that's the clip you show, right? Like, that's the one. Yeah. Um, and it's a famous shot, and it's a famous moment in this film. You probably have seen it via that mode as well. But, yeah, it's on TV all the time. Yeah. All the time. Or 
it was. I don't, I don't have cable anymore, so I, don't, I think it I can't is. Even I can't tell with things like this. I googled it, like to find where if it was streaming anywhere. It, it's not. I mm-hmm. hit the four dollars, and Google will give you a little uh, feed of like when it's on TV, and there are like a million things in that feed. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's going to be on Showtime pretty soon. Like, yeah, it's like okay. Con Air or. Right, Big uh, Air Force One. Yeah, like many, many of yeah. those Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this movie's on TV a lot, so uh, another surprising one that you missed. Uh, what did you think of it? Did you like it? I enjoyed it. Yeah? yeah it was a fun movie. Okay, good. Um, I mean, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, you kind of can't go wrong with them. I guess lately Harrison Ford's been phoning, in, phoning it in a little more, but he's uh, he's got that like Harrison Ford like grit about him in this one and it's great yeah yeah I mean we can start with him because his performance is kind of surprising insofar as he has so few lines he like doesn't most of this performance is physical he's usually hiding and doing exactly right right. he's yeah he's active right but he's not there's so little dialogue for that character especially relative to Tommy Lee Jones who's chatting this entire movie Yes. Is, a, is a motor mouth and, and that struck me this time like how much of Harrison Ford's performance is just is physical it's him just moving about in space he's very believable as someone who can just like chat people up which he does yeah. in this movie like a number of times just to kind of like pass yeah, and, yeah. yeah. so you know two three lines and, and that's it right? yeah like and he has like the almost too cute moment where he the guy the cop gives him his own description yeah. It's like, oh, except for the beard, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right after he got done shaving to, to conceal his identity. Um, but yeah, he does this this kind of quiet competence thing really well in this movie that it needs because he's you know supposed to be the super smart doctor that's going to solve all the world's ills as he's running away from the cops. Um, and I think that he nails that here. I think that he yeah. he he gets it, um, and you still get the, like the right amount of like frustration with the system, and like you see this fury in him. Um, that doesn't overwhelm the character, but it's still present. I think yeah. he's good at like directing the action on screen yeah. too. Like he's good at knowing like where to look and like move his body in a way that like it flows with the action. Yeah, well, which is like harder than it sounds. Yeah, because he spends a lot of time like looking for things. Yeah. In this movie. <laughs> That's a lot of what the the performance is. They're like examining stuff that he has encountered, mm-hmm. and like to make that at all interesting cinema. That's very challenging. It's tough, and it it doesn't look tough, right? Like, when you're just watching somebody do it, and when it's working, it's just the movie happening. They make it look easy, right? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I think that that's that's what he does here. The movie is very, like, competently shot. I remember thinking, particularly early in the movie, what he... the, The whole, like, bus sequence, which is, like, how he escapes. So he's, like, loaded on a bus with other prisoners, and then... The other prisoners like stage an escape, which causes the bus to crash, and then the bus is hit by a train. (laughs) (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) And then the train like just has this gigantic explosion. I didn't know it would escalate that much. Yeah, it's like kind of comical how much that's. Yeah, they're they're like we need to ratchet this up even right even more. Yeah. And, and one train. And a train. But that scene was super intense. It, it was. was. When they're trying to get out of the bus while the train's coming, like, my and, heart was beating. And it right. shot It shot really well. Yeah. Like, it's really good at, like, the sort of streamlining the storytelling there. Right. Even just at the beginning where it's, like, there's a series of, like, five shots that establish up to the point where he's on the bus. And that 
that's like very challenging to do because you're you're telling like a very complex storyline that you have to establish that he's a doctor and then his wife gets killed and then he gets convicted and to do that in like five scenes without being corny right they do is, it before the credits end yeah yeah is is impressive and it's good it's very thoughtful filmmaking too because it's like None of this crap matters. We just need to, to like give these two pieces of information. Right. Well, and yeah. they know that people know the story, right? Like they know, especially in 1993, right? Like a lot of yeah. the people watching this movie are aware of what the fugitive is about, right? And they have the basic characters and narrative structure preloaded. And I think that they're kind Do of you mean because of the TV show. Because of the TV show, yeah. And when and was the TV show? TV show was late on. 60s. Okay. Um, but it was such a huge deal that, like, okay. even like I didn't know when I remember when I first watched this movie, I had no idea. I had never seen this TV show before, but I still had the basic idea. It's this guy that was accused of killing his wife, and he didn't really do it. And mm-hmm. there's a one-armed man involved, right? Like, he had these basic pieces. Is it based on a book? Or I don't know. Maybe. I didn't do my research. It felt like something that was based on a book. That is entirely plausible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, I remember thinking the same thing that it they they set up this story very quickly in a very short period of time and it's not showy right like i think it, no. it, in that moment and in the like the train crash bus thing like it's it would be tempting to go for some like really you know, like like a camera that would call attention to itself and it doesn't do that right like it's very functional cuts right like the mm-hmm. edits happen in places that are intuitive and make sense and don't call attention to themselves and that's that's a restrained kind of filmmaking that i think makes sense in a in this kind of you know, pulpy story, right? That it's about the the plot. Right? Yeah, where it, it's like the focus here should be on the chase, and so we need to get to the chase. The right. movie like gets there very quickly. Right. It's not about the director, and it's not about the cinematographer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's about the the movie. Well, and, I don't know. I always appreciate interesting yeah. cinematography. I mean, it's not. It doesn't belong everywhere, but I did feel like this movie looked a little boring in that respect. But I just have this. I mean, I've expressed this before on the show. I've had this general kind of dislike of the kind of 90s movie look and I mean obviously this movie was made in the early 90s so it's got that in full blast right it's got those like the color palette and the lighting scheme and the general um, style of camera angles that they have it, it has all those qualities I don't know how to describe you could probably cut this together with Silence of the Lambs and it wouldn't look yeah, like exactly. a, <laughs> it, a it would fit right in right? Yeah, I don't know how to describe like, what the camera angles are that are very 90s to me but yeah. there's just a certain style that feels that way and I guess I don't know. The the, the angles feel kind of boring. There's not yeah. they're not that interesting. That's they're it. just very functional. They just show what's supposed to be happening on screen. They don't they don't make any like flashy artsiness of it, right? Yeah. No, I think you're right, and I think that's the right way to do it. Um, when you're telling a story like this, you wouldn't. You're correct that you wouldn't want it for every movie, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, and I think that when the cinematographer, the, the I don't know, ph- photography choices are imbued with meaning in such a way that advance the type of story and are appropriate to the type of story, then that's where you want it. And I think that you can think of some memorable shots here that do stand out because they're contrasted with, you know, blandness if I want to, you know, be uncharitable. The one I'm thinking, the one I like is the sequence when uh, Harrison Ford is visiting the jail, right? And you have, Mm -hmm. you have some really kind of clever editing of the two of them going up and down the stairs at the same time and like the Tommy Lee Jones character yelling his name down the stairs and you have like this and he shot. falls for the oldest trick in the book. Right, you have this shot down the stairwell and it works really well and you have him like running out of the door and you and the 
the gun, the, the bullets are hitting the bulletproof glass, like right in Harrison Ford's face. Right? Like th- that sequence, I think, did have some more clever or creative camera work and it was effective, right? Like, I guess what I noticed about that scene was they made it ambiguous which stairwell yeah. Harrison Ford was using. Yeah. So you thought that maybe they're going to run into each other because they'd established that Tommy Lee Jones was running up the stairs this whole time. Yeah. And, and then like Harrison Ford's like, oh, I'm going to go take the stairs down, right? And then right. they reveal that there's actually two staircases, which right. that was kind of funny. They but do, Tommy Lee Jones sees him anyway. There's a couple of fake outs that they do in this movie. There's that one, and then the his apartment's like yeah. getting raided, but it turns out for like <laughs> the other guy for like the like fail son that lives upstairs. Right, and yeah. it's not clear what he did because they, they they said he's selling drug drugs dealing. to minors or something. Okay, like yeah, I heard both of those disconnected. So I was like, is he a pedophile or is he a drug dealer? No, he's, he's selling he's drugs like, to children. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, selling drugs to kids. Okay. Which is like a very like dare moment. Oh, this yeah. would have been the height of the dare program. Especially in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that was a, I liked that moment a lot too. So yeah, there's some... I think, yeah, this is mostly a very functionally shot film. It's a basic kind of camera work. Yeah. Um, but I think it, for me, it works for the most part. Um, you're right about the color palette too. I think it's this kind of muted 90s look that you see a lot. Oh, yeah, and it just, mm-hmm. it always makes me tune out a little bit from the yeah. visuals of a movie whenever I see that color palette. And I don't think they get away from it until, like, The Matrix. The Matrix is certainly a departure from that. Yeah, no, nobody would describe that movie as muted, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I think this comes from it being, like, hard to do that well in the 90s. I mean, you have to, like, put, like, physical, like, gels on the lenses or, like, use, like, gel lenses to, like like shoot in anything other than just like a drab shot right and i think we've talked about this before but this is also the advent of like sort of like cheaper cameras that are like more mobile so yeah. you don't have to have this like giant rig that you you like used to have to have yeah it slashes costs right yeah. it's yeah. just weird that it's so different from the 80s or the 60s and 70s right like because they didn't I, they didn't use like cheap cameras then yeah if they did it was it. like for a really low rent movie like john waters is known for sort of shooting with crappy cameras but you know, him he and David really, Lynch are like one of the only ones yeah. that are like doing that. So. Yeah, like the technology is yeah. a little different. So it'll change, like how they look. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly the point. Yeah. So it's just like they're using crappier technology, but it's like more affordable and and cheaper. Like it brings the costs down a lot. I think is what's happening here. They're still shooting to film, and that that's super expensive. But yeah. yeah. Well, and I think I mean, I understand your aversion to it, but for me, like that look, like the the gray that is these 90s movies it's, it's kind of its own gray. aesthetic like it gets to a point where it's it, there's something appealing about it in that like it does cast this it, it does make everybody feel like they're kind of down under luck all the time <laughs> right <laughs> I mean, like everybody's kind of like basically had a pretty rough life <laughs> is, the, yeah, sense, is the sense that you get and i kind of like that about it i think that there's like a a, a function to that look that colors, pun intended, 90s movies. Um, that I, I don't want to dock it for. I don't want to. I sure. don't want to hold against it. Um, so th- this is a set up as kind of a versus movie, right? Um, so what do we think about Tommy Lee Jones? We probably like him, I assume. Yeah, he's yeah. 
I mean, he's awesome. He's, the character I, I don't know if he great. ever plays a different character, but he, he, he yeah. doesn't need to. Yeah. So you, you, you cast him because you want Tommy Lee Jones, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's like Chris Farley, where it's the same character, just at like different volumes. <laughs> just like Chris <laughs> Farley. <laughs> yeah. well, but no. Chris, Chris Farley plays the same character in like every. No, sketch. I get what you're saying. It's and, just a funny comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like No Country Tommy Lee, a little, little more reserved, a little more quiet. Right. 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 Yeah. Older. Yeah. Right. But he's also a guy, I cannot imagine him. Young, I can't imagine him like younger than I know, right? 45. <laughs> he, he, he was born with yeah. those wrinkles, right? He seems like a guy that's just always been old, he's rugged, <laughs> yes, constantly, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but he, he kind of has this. I think what's appealing about him is he he looks, you know, like this kind of rundown guy, right? But there's this sharpness to him, right? Like he's just always on it. And yep. I think the main dynamic in this movie is how it, it is about competence, right? It's like this hyper-competent doctor and this hyper-competent police officer going up against one another. And it's not that yeah. either one of them is really being outsmarted or anything like that. They're just both very good at what they're attempting to do. One of the major things I remembered before like rewatching this film was the sort of like team of dummies that he has around him. <laughs> yeah. For like kind of doting on him but also like don't believe him. But then he's like mostly right yes. he's proven wrong in one scene but yeah every yeah. other one he's not yeah yeah <laughs> like, although it, that is a good scene because they like they show his fallibility right right what's and the it, one yeah. thing that he got wrong are you talking the, about? they're listening to the audio of a phone call because when harrison ford gets to chicago he calls his lawyer and they've oh, yeah. tapped they've tapped his lawyer's phone yeah and they're in the background. There's the noise of the t- train, and one of the guys is like, "That's their, an L train." Their puzzle moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, "No, it's not." And then, and then they're able to like extract some audio out of it that like proves it's the L train. Right. Yeah. Right. And it, it's played for laughs, and yeah. it is funny. Um, yeah, it's it's a good moment because like it, it like humanizes his character. Right. Yeah. Right. It's so. And he 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 kind of jokes like, "Oh, I thought I was an elevated train this whole <laughs> time." Along, yeah, which is yeah. a good game. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of it, it, it softens him, right? Because like he's not annoyed by being wrong or anything like that. He plays it as a joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what like this movie does with these two characters and their just unending supply of being competent and correct all the time is it <laughs> seems to be suggesting that competence tends towards goodness, right? Because you look at the Harrison Ford character, and there are many times throughout the movie where he is like stopping to save an injured child or like there's the, the cop that needs to like he's the one that has to pull him out of the the bus he totally and, messes things up for himself multiple times right to try he, to help someone but he gets out of it because he's smart enough and he's the yeah. lead right and like, like he would have gotten away at that first hospital if he didn't stop to help the cop again right and then the right. cop like id'd him anyway yeah exactly and like julianne moore is apparently a huge anarch and just like <laughs> ready to turn him in immediately um you know, so, it's funny because I saw her name on the credits and I expected her to be a bigger character and not to no. show up for literally one scene. No, she's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, she's, Apparently she got big after this movie, though. Yeah. So yeah, clearly wasn't I didn't it. realize. This movie like led to her talking to Spielberg or something and then she like kind of took off to, after this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I forgot yeah. she was in it and I saw her name on the credits. She was like, oh yeah, she has, she's a doctor or something. Um, but it seems to me like what this movie is suggesting is that as they as these competent men do their work, their work t- trends towards goodness and they trend t- toward a converging goal, right? And that if you just keep... So the, the message seems to be something like, if you are good at what you're doing, 
and you are a good per that will tend towards goodness, and as you tend towards goodness, everyone will converge on the same point. Um, I don't know if that's true. Like I don't the think it is. Good. Right, exactly. I think that there's something about that going on in this movie, um, and I don't I don't think that that's actually true, and that it is forgiving of law enforcement in that sense. But I feel like that's a, a takeaway here in terms of what this movie is telling us. If there's a meaning to be drawn out, it definitely shows that to prove your innocence takes a lot of effort. Right, personal point. effort. Right? Yeah, yeah, personal you effort. You have to do it. Yeah. Right, like if this guy... The burden of proof is definitely on Harrison Ford here. Right, right. Well, and that's why the famous line in this movie is so critical, right? Because the, the famous line is when Harrison Ford has the gun drawn on Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones hands her up. He says, I didn't kill my wife. Yeah. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. Like, there's, there's yeah. some truth to that, right? Like, if yeah. the cops are hunting you down, they don't care if you did it or not. Like, they really don't. Like, the law enforcement is not interested in your innocence, it's not interested in truth. It is not interested in whether or not they're doing something that advances any kind of cosmic correctness. Right. He, he's not looking for the higher truth here. He just wants to do his job as well as he can. Right. And he only seeks the higher truth in the end because the evidence is so overwhelmingly it's for it and flung into his face, essentially. Right. So maybe this movie isn't as kind of law enforcement as I in, in indicated initially. Because um, it is a guy operating outside the law that's meant to prove incorrect. The and Chicago PD seem like dummies in this film. And in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they come across as being like, they just make assumptions and they're not like yeah. using any evidence or anything. Right. And Tommy Lee Jones like starts to dismiss them. He also shows up to the scene of the train crash and there's like a local police right. department there. Who's an oaf. Right? Yeah, who's totally <laughs> dumb and like... He like humiliates that guy in front right. of everybody. Was that Wilfred yeah. Brimley? It looked. Old. I thought it was Wilfred Brimley. I don't yeah. know if it is. I think it was the the guy in Office Space who uh, like got oh, his neck broken. Was it? Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, yeah. If you mean the the warden from the bus who was right. like a coward. Right. The corrections officer. Yeah. Like, oh. Corrections officers are perhaps even worse than cops <laughs> in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I think you're right. It was that guy. Um, so yeah, he comes in and humiliates that guy, and then once he's done with that, he humiliates the guy that was questioning him, and then he is in charge forever. <laughs> <laughs> because he adequately humiliated and emasculated everybody else. The, the press in this movie also comes off pretty well. They're like, they're just trying to do their jobs and like report a story, yes. and they're not like bloodthirsty local reporters. They're just like, because at the end, they're yeah. like, is he innocent? Like, they're, yeah. like yeah. they're worried whether or not Fuck he's ups. innocent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which um, is like, to put that together as an outsider would be like, you'd be like a mastermind, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. criminologist. Right. Because, like, uh, like, I mean, you linked the uh, really bizarre Onion article in, <laughs> in the podcast. I didn't get a yeah. chance to read it. Okay, before. so the premise of it, well, Charles, you describe it. You well, I mean, it. the Onion article, this, this was weird for an Onion article because it essentially just summarized the plot of the movie. Right. But it was just an article reported as if this happened in real life, and it said like you know, <laughs> like a fugitive doctor Richard Kimball like like shows up at this conference yeah. and starts yelling about conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> right, it literally just summar summarized the movie. There was nothing else to it. Right, it's, it summarized the end of the movie specifically from the perspective of somebody who like didn't hadn't been following Harrison Ford this whole time. <laughs> right, and, and like there's some truth to that, right? Like, it's pretty specific meta joke. Right, it, like yeah. it's it yeah. is very specific, and yeah. and the article came out in 2013, so it must have been 10 years after the movie came out. Yes, well, no, 20. 20. <laughs> but, yeah, wait. 
Oh shit! Nineties are always ten years. God damn it! I did it again. Um, But yeah, but what's funny about it and true about it is that yeah, he's kind of a fucking lunatic, right? Like he uh, and the the story he comes up with convicted killer who escapes stumbles in here <laughs> to a posh. mass like international drug conspiracy yeah. right like that is a bananas way for this plot to go and that everyone does just kind of buy it at the end is what it seems like, like what? it is also insane and that he's actually right insane um so yeah the the plotting in this story gets really really strange kind of abruptly yeah at, at the end um, and I think that that's what this article is pointing to, that if someone were to actually just walk into the story at the point when the public walks into the story, like, it's going to look like a, like a lunatic <laughs> showed up and started harassing these British people. It's pretty convoluted. So it's like, I mean, Charles did a good job summarizing it earlier, but it's right. like this drug company is essentially like framing him for killing his wife, but they had meant to kill him. Because he was a part of like early drug tests and the drug tests weren't going well, and they just want to get the drug onto the market. Yes. So his like doctor partner is apparently the person that's like ordering the hit. <laughs> right. Yeah. That must be what's going on. Yeah. And he played it, it well. He was so friendly. Yes. Yeah. Well, and he didn't even know that they were fabricating the results at the time the hit went out. Yeah. So they ordered him to be killed, assuming that he would eventually figure it out yeah. and report it. And that people would believe him. Well, and they lose. Okay. They reference another doctor getting killed, right. being that like they're trying to kill once. all the people that are involved. Right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it is kind of a crazy plan because you'd think that what you'd really do is just, you know, wait for him to make any kind of indication that he knew about this. Yeah. Before you decide to murder him yeah. <laughs> using the one-armed hitman, um, and they don't do that. They're just like, well, yeah, I think the issue was that. Uh, Harrison Ford's character was the one who submitted the test results that had failed. Right. And they wanted to submit results that didn't fail. So they knew they had to get rid of him because he knew that the results were faulty or that they failed. Right. Yeah. But it seems like they skipped some steps. Like there there are things you can do before order a hit on. Probably try to pay him off first, really. That is an excellent idea. Yes. There are many things. I, I remember reading this story, or it might have been on This American Life, but so there was this real life conspiracy um, where there was this bank in Europe and they were like moving money around like through Africa, I think. And they were like shipping arms to like some warlords and like they got they got caught in like around 2008 when like, you know, the musical chairs game stopped <laughs> and you know the bottom fell out on everybody they got caught and there's a movie that came out uh about this but they like added this whole like action layer to it <laughs> so it's it's called the the international the international i think oh i've heard um, this is in it that sounds in, very familiar. Is that the it's Clive Owen. One? It's Clive Owen. Yeah. Yeah. So Clive Owen. In I only know about that one because they have a shootout at the Guggenheim Museum. Yeah. That's the only part of it I'm aware <laughs> of. So Clive Owen like figures out the conspiracy and like the bank is like trying to kill him and it's about that. And so that movie's like based on a real story, but the Clive Owen part is not. <laughs> but I remember hearing the like original conspiracy described, and I was like, wow, that's actually like really interesting. And if the film was like just about that, it would be. Good. Yeah, it would be good. Yeah, uh, it would be the constant so, gardener, I guess, or something. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, 
Which but, is similar in plotting to this movie a lot, right? Yes. The Constant Gardener is like the bummer version of this movie. It, it opens yeah. with uh, Ralph yeah. Fiennes finding out that his wife has been killed and him just being like, oh, okay, and then like looking sad for the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but it's but then like the plot of this movie is that, essentially. like It turns out like a drug company like killed his wife. And, right, yeah, right. Because like they were testing drugs on like people in Africa. Right, there's poor people. Yeah. Because they're easier to kill. Yeah. And so yeah, that movie that movie is a bummer. It's, it's a big bummer, yeah. yeah. It's kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah, also. Yeah, I remember like not liking it, but I do remember it. But reason. yeah, I just remember thinking like how silly that adaptation is. Of, like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Conspiracy movies are tough, right? Cuz they've got to be you have to be able to like explain them, I guess, mm -hmm. right? The or not? Plot. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to Right. Well, and yeah. there's such you're walking such a fine line tonally. Yeah. Right? Because on the one hand, you can't go like full observist, right? Or if you do go for full observist, you're making a different kind of movie. Yeah. But on the other hand, like if you take all of the conspiracy stuff yeah. super seriously, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there are like complex crimes in real life, right? Right. And yeah. Like, yeah. And yeah. So again, like so, it's, it's tough. It's a tough needle to thread. And the complex crimes in real life, you know, are usually not as complicated or as, like, super villainy as the stuff that happens in movies. Yeah. Right? It's a lot of people making little bad choices over and over and over again. Right? Now, I am seeking out poor people to murder. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I kind of like, like the one that, and that they had in The Fugitive. Yeah. It's more, I, I don't know, I hesitate to use the word plausible, but... I think it had the right yeah. balance of like what feels plausible or realistic yeah. with also, like big enough to be interesting. Yeah, I agree, and I think the the stakes are low enough here too. Like it doesn't go up to the president or something, right? <laughs> right. Like we don't. Like <laughs> this we, goes all the way to the top, <laughs> right? Yeah, we don't need to like steal the Declaration of Independence to like figure out this this conspiracy. Right, it goes to like a fancy doctor. That's yeah, as it goes. I do like that yeah. the the company side of this is just kind of like this anonymous like drug company which that does feel very realistic and yeah. I, I really the scene stuck out to me because it was so sincere where um tommy lee jones is like he like is telling one of his partners he's like they have this drug company they're seven and a half billion dollar company yeah and then he pauses for a while and he's like they're monsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that wrong? Yeah. They probably are. Well, before that, he says he got in the wrong the wrong business. <laughs> he should have gotten in the, the drug game, apparently. Yeah. He is right. Yeah. 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 Well, and the other thing, the, the little like thing, print money. the little thing I like about that scene yeah. is that Tommy Lee Jones doesn't actually say seven and a half billion dollars. He says seven and one and a half billion dollars or something. Seven and one half a billion. Yeah. I think that sounds like a very Tommy Lee Jones thing. It does. Thing, and that's supposed to sound like a lot of money, too. Right? Yeah. Which, which it is, but now, like, the, it's just funny. The, the, sta yeah. the scale has changed. The scale right? always changes. Right. Yeah. And it feels very early 90s for the big bad to be literally an anonymous corporation. Right? Just like something yeah. that's you know, operating behind the scenes that you never even see a representative from, really. I mean, we were coming off the 80s where, like, the corp corporate bad guy was always the bad guy in 80s yeah. movies, so I think it's just, like, thematic of the 80s, right? right. Where I'm sure, sure the development of this movie began in the 80s, right? Because it comes out in 93, so... Yeah, that seems likely. And, yeah. I mean, and the idea of adapting television was kind of a newer concept then, so it probably took a little doing to yeah. get this to happen. Um, 
This also reminds me a lot. There wasn't there a movie with uh, Gene Hackman and Will Smith. Um, Enemy of the State. Enemy of the State. Yeah, I think that was late nineties, though. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's more like technology oriented as well. Yeah, that one had a lot of like camera tracking and the most ridiculous enhanced scene in cinema history. Actually, <laughs> go, go on. You know the scene? No, well, maybe go ahead. They have like security footage of like a store, right? And then yeah. they end up like rotating the footage. <laughs> and like zooming into someone's bag to find out what they bought. Yeah, they literally so like 3D rotate the yeah, footage. Yeah, you see an angle that's like not captured. Well, and the thing, when they do that, you know that like literally every single person on the set knows that cameras don't work that way. Right? Like, I hope so. They work with cameras every day. Of course it, they it know that. Hilarious. I, I think that was like a, a technophobe movie though, right? Because it's yeah. like really concerned with it like. It feels more modern because it's about like surveillance. Yeah, it's about security cameras, like early internet stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas this yeah. movie still uses phrases like "car phone," and it's not a joke. Right? The, like, the Will Smith one is also a lot more about like suburban paranoia, because it's like his house is bugged and like there's a lot of plot points around this. Whereas like this is more about just like this. This is still a very eighties because it's like kind of crime panic. Um, Yes. Where, like, someone's breaking into your house and there's, like, a violent murder that happens. Right, well, and... and very 80s. A, there is a drug dealer that is arrested and, like, gives up information at some point. Yeah. Right? Like, and the guys that he's in the the bus with at the beginning of the movie, like, are hardened criminals and one of them gets gunned down and, and stuff. Like, it, it does draw on some of those tropes. It's not about that, but yeah. it is aware of that. Yeah. And, and you know, profiting from it, using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, other movie that's brought to mind was, uh, to me, was The Net. Yeah. Oh, with um, Bullock, right? Uh, yes, with Sandra Bullock, or she's a uh, a I'm hacker. With that one. Yeah, well, it's the net, as in the internet. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it came out like right after this, though. Yeah. It was like an early internet movie where it's like she um, she gets embroiled in like some some sort of plot, and then like her electronic life begins to like get deleted so like her bank accounts stop working and then her credit cards stop working and it was like a very again like very technophobe kind of conspiracy movie um, and then she's like on the run and like needs to like get her life back yeah that, i mean that seems yeah. like an odd choice for Sam. i haven't seen them yet, but that's an uh, sandra bullock's kind of an odd choice for thriller lady right she seems like this i don't know i think there's like a Too mom humorous yeah, she's too humorous and too like. I, it must normal. have been right after yeah. Speed, so I bet she had like a, a lot of heat, and yeah. <laughs> it was like the beginning of her, uh, her like yeah. launch to like big stardom. I yeah, think. you're right. Yeah, like, before she was leaning into all the rom coms and mm-hmm. the Blind Side, and I mean, it, to carry an action movie as a woman in the '90s is like <clears throat> that's pretty rare, and she's yeah. like, yeah, it's like her and like Ashley Judd, right? So, yeah. 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 yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Was you, that was Double Jeopardy. Double Jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie doesn't make sense. If I'm if I'm remembering as a lawyer, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, so I'm remembering it does it. the plotting of yeah. Double Jeopardy correctly because that's the one where she's like convicted of killing her husband. Yeah, but he's not actually dead, and she what? En- right, and she ends up getting out of prison. And therefore, she can kill her husband now because she's already been punished for it. Yeah. They get it talked down to manslaughter, I think. Well, right. husband and wife and can't be punished for the same thing. Right? Crime. Like, it's that yeah. level of legal logic. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I remember, because I, I haven't seen it, but I, I heard the what it's about. And I was like, that can't. 
that doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can do that. But, um, but I mean, like with all these movies and this movie, the 90s feel like very conspiracy oriented. That's true. Whereas like I, I don't feel like there's as much like conspiracy media now. Not like this. No. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I, and I wonder why that is specifically. I think like 9-11 happened and we started focusing more on international warfare. I guess, but 9-11 is the moment where like conspiracy theorists go like they like take it to the next level right because the alex joneses of the world well, maybe that's like, it like they conspiracy theories start it's just real life yeah just yeah started happening <laughs> yeah. And, like we don't need to put it in movies anymore yeah that if, must... you, if you want conspiracy theories you just go you just go go to infowars that must be it we must just be like tapped out on conspiracy now right because like every everything is a conspiracy now right for yeah. for liberals it's russia and for everyone else it's like black flag like right shootings right, right? false flags and yeah. right like every every school shooting is not real every every child is a crisis actor there's probably still plenty of conspiracy movies we i just can't think of them any i think they still exist though i feel I'm, like i'm sure they do common, like winter soldier was basically a conspiracy movie that's true um although that movie was focused it's another surveillance movie too yeah. right like well, winter soldier was really concerned with the state um looking at everybody and it wasn't corporate uh, like the the winner winner soldier was government conspiracy yeah. and, and, and internal government conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a good movie. L.A. Confidential is another like kind mm-hmm. of conspiracy movie similar to this. Yeah. yeah. Although thinking uh, about the fugitive now, it wasn't really a conspiracy movie in that he's just trying to figure out like the identity of his wife's killer so he can probably get revenge. Like I don't even know if he has it has the goal of like being uh, absolved of his crime or anything like that, right? And then he happens to stumble upon uh, the conspiracy only near the end, really. Right? Yeah, it's certainly not his goal. He didn't know it was a thing. Right? Yeah, he has, the rest yeah. of the movie is just him trying to escape and trying to figure out who the one-armed man was. Yeah. But I think, like, a conspiracy movie is kind of defined by, like, there's, like, these, like, overarching, like, forces that are, like, just beyond our vision that are the ones that are, like, controlling what's happening here. And so I think it does kind of fall into this like mm-hmm. category in that way. You're right in that it's also like kind of procedural, where he's like just trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of like the movie more when it's that. Like yeah. I, I prefer the first, you know, two acts of this movie where it's really yeah. The first half of this movie is way better than the mm-hmm. like when they start to reveal the right, the right. Thing. Like it, it would be yeah. way more like this movie. Yeah. I think might even be improved if it turns out that the guy that did it was just some guy. Right, like, what if it's someone that broke into his house and killed his wife because he wanted to steal all this rich guy stuff? Yeah, right. Like, yeah. that's a different movie, right? But I, I wanted, I, I wish that this movie had kind of drilled down deeper into this or, relationship or, between Ford and and Jones. Yeah, or that like it is his friend, but his friend like was jealous or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. It doesn't need to involve this like. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I wish it had gone more personal. Right? Yeah, and I think that there's this instinct, and this was probably true when the TV show came out that like. Mm the movie will seem more important if the plotting gets bigger, mm-hmm. right? And that people will take it as, as like a serious movie because it's dealing with these serious, like big ideas and, and concepts and groups. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that serves the movie as well, right? Like I, I want this story to be more about these people, right? Because the, the best moments in these movies and the most memorable moments in these movies are not when he reveals the grand conspiracy. It's when it's him and Tommy Lee Jones and him saying, just like them laying down exactly how they feel about what's going on. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Right? Like, that's the most memorable part of this movie. That's when it's functioning its best and when it's, it's most felt. Right? And, yeah. and has, its, has its ethos. 
And there's a reason that we remember that, right? And so I, I wish that the, this movie had focused on that stuff and been about that stuff. Yeah, when it's just like a pure action film, it like it works really well, right? Because yeah. I, I, clearly, this guy knows how to make an, an action movie. It's not an egotistical director, right? Like he's really just putting the characters first, and it feels like he kind of gets bogged down in this script that wants to be something that it really shouldn't, and that doesn't serve uh, the, these performances or these characters very well. I mean, I, I like I'd like to see both versions of this movie, but I still like the version that we got. I still find the big like overarching plot reveal to be very fun and interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's fun and it's it's goofy and like I don't. I, I liked it. Like I, I like this movie. Like I think it's good. Um, but it's a shame that the end of this movie is big reveal that comes out of nowhere and like a fist fight with this doctor on the roof. Yeah, and it's, I, like that feels to me like it's. Um, I felt let down. Even at the time, I felt let down. Like, it, it's not character-focused at that point. It's not character-grounded anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had been earlier, which is a bummer. Have you seen The Conspiracy? No. It's, it's a movie that came out a, a few years ago. And, like, the it's kind of, like, about 9-11 truthers, okay. where these, oh. these two guys, like, meet this guy, and he has this, like, there's some sort of like unnamed a- accident that's like happened in the movie and this guy's a conspiracy theorist around it and he like there are these two like journalists and they meet with him it's a found footage film okay so they they start talking to him and then like some of the facts that he like reveals to them like start to look true and then that guy like disappears and they try and they're trying for the rest of the movie like to figure out what what happens to that guy um does it good it's good, and the directions that it goes are like surprising. Okay, um, but it, it deals a lot with like the it. Yeah, it's like a meta like conspiracy movie, but it because it's a found footage film, it has this kind of like Blair Witch aspect to it, where we're like in with the characters and like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay, yeah. So who was in it? Uh, just some random guys. It was like, like a smaller film. Yeah, I think it's okay. a Canadian film. Canadian um, film, the conspira- conspiracy. I'm, I might be wrong. It might actually be big actors. <laughs> okay. I, I don't remember, like, I've, knowing who these people I've are. I've definitely not heard anything about this. Aaron Poole, who I, I recognize the name. He's been in stuff. And James Gilbert. Okay. Some guys. I don't some, know. Some dudes. Some Canadian dudes. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Um, yeah, I recommend it. It's it's a good film. Sweet. Any, any like, closing thoughts on this film? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think this movie is worth watching. I understand why it's on TV a lot, right? Like, it has big iconic moments, and it's easy to kind of come into it and, and get it. Um, and, yeah, there's more Tommy Lee Jones in the world. is always a good thing, <laughs> by and large. So I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, it's not a, top, it, uh, a great action movie. or it, It's not up there with the great ones for me, but mm-hmm. it's a solid movie. Like, I think that he good. must have been on a tear around this time, because, like, Men in Black came around, around this time, too. I think too. Was 97? Yeah. Later. Yeah, but I mean that was a three movie franchise. Within four we wait years, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're making another yeah. one with uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. And like I didn't think there was anything that could get me interested in a Men in Black movie, but it turns out there is. And that's it. <laughs> I heard that they were doing So just a Thor and Men in Black crossover. Yeah. Yeah. There was talk at one point of a a twenty two Jump Street Men in Black crossover. Yeah, I, I was very curious about that, but it looks I like think, it's not happening. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't right, think, but I mean, yeah. that's, we didn't that's need that. Fertile yeah. ground for hilarity, right? Because like I had no faith in 21 or 22 Jump Street, and they both blew me away. They were great. So yeah. then I was sold. Maybe they could make that work somehow, but it looks like they couldn't make it. Yeah, I've, I've liked Canning Tatum and everything I've seen him in. So there's that. I don't know. Well, any last thoughts on Fugitive? I guess a bit of a side note. I thought it was funny to see a very young Jane Lynch in this one. Yes. Yeah. It's like a lab tech or something. Yeah. Yeah, she was a fun character, and I think she basically solved the entire mystery for Harrison Ford's Yeah, she character. finds, like, the critical evidence that, yeah. like, unmasks everything. Yeah. So. Very minor character, but, you know, yeah. funny to see see them before they get big and all that. Yeah. And, before, and she's not she's not funny in the movie, and, like, she obviously made a career as a comedian eventually. So, uh, good for her. She yeah. Got, she made it. <laughs> Way to go, Dan Lynch. Um, but we will be back in a moment with things we've seen. Uh, see you soon. And we're back with things we've seen. Charles and I went and saw a screening of Dread 3D. Dread 3D. Which was 2013 or 2014 movie, I believe. Uh, somewhere around that range. I think it was like 2012 or 2013. Yeah. This is a cult film now, officially. <laughs> yeah. It, it, whatever company decides what is and isn't cult. Yeah, well, it was it was a huge box office bomb. They lost a lot of money on it. I'm sad I missed it in theaters the first time. I just didn't get around to it. I did see it in theaters because I was like, I remember watching trailers and being like, I'm going to see this movie. (laughs) This looks great. And this movie is great. This movie is actually incredible. I was astounded by it. I had seen it before this showing. Uh, I just watched it at home. Yes. Uh, thankfully, I do have a 3D TV, so I did watch it in 3D at home, yeah. which is pretty important to this movie, actually. Yeah. But uh, it definitely held up this time, too. It just so, so good. The movie was created during the like 3D craze, that like five to six years. Post-Avatar. Post-Avatar. And it was one of the only movies that was shot well and competently. Because yeah. it, was, it was actually shot in 3D. It's not a post-3D conversion or mm-hmm. post-like filming conversion yeah 3d looks great in this you, you movie. can actually notice yeah. it it actually adds to the film yeah which is something that never happens really yeah plotting of the movie is very much like the raid it's yep. pretty much the same plot as the raid yep and lena hetty is great in, in this she's like the main bad guy oh, in this okay. film the gang leader yeah. and she just like is great her character is she's awesome really, scary, really creepy yeah so, like, she's in, a great like scar on her face, like oh. yeah, like yeah, pretty so gruesome she's, looking. She's scar. less of the screaming yeah. bad guy and right. the more of the really quiet, but you're not sure what she is capable of sort of bad guy, and that's really scary. So yeah. like a, a Game of Thrones tryout, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, love the. So in the movie, there's uh, a drug, and when you take the drug, the like time you experience time slower, and there's the way that they shoot people on the drug is like kind of like everything kind of sparkles yeah they put this color (laughs) filter over the entire screen and it's really appealing actually it's It's like it's beautifully shot there's a scene where lena uh is is in a bathtub and she kind of raises her arm and you see all the water like falling off really slow and it's such an iconic it's like a little curtain moment yeah um, and it contrasts greatly with yeah. how drab and depressing the rest of the world is. You can see why they might want to yeah. be on this drug because everything looks so bright and colorful and cheerful when they're on slow-mo. Yeah, whereas the the city itself is just like just super just like it's basically downtown Los Angeles, just like 
<laughs> for 800 million people or something. Just, like, everything live in is this concrete world. gray. Yeah. It's if brutalism yeah. became the only architectural yeah. style. Yeah. Um, I think they, they made some smart choices in this film where they're like, let's just t- tell like a small story in this world. It's one day on the beat with Judge Dredd. Yeah. And it's like, it's this like rookie's like first day and she's like with Dredd. And that's like a great vehicle because we are also like the rookie with yep. Dredd, Judge Dredd like along for the ride. And yeah, it does a really, uh, I don't know. I think this is a phenomenal film. The action scenes are incredible in this it's film. It's probably one of my favorite action films, I would say. Yeah. There's, I, was, I think I was telling you after the show, and there's something very satisfying about the action. Yes. So I expected the action to be maybe a little more flashy in a raid sort of way, but it's actually, they kind of just kick everyone's ass <laughs> and end the day. Like, there's very few parts where the judges feel like they're really threatened. Um, but that's not really the point. It's, the point is to show how amazingly dominant the judges are. Um, so they're just like ripping through all these criminals. But I also love the sound design in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, so like the, the guns yeah, that the judges use have this very satisfying sound to them. It's, it's very, it's very heavy. It's very weighty feeling. And yeah. just every time this they use it is so satisfying. Sound design is like really good in the film. Yeah, it's I, amazing. And the soundtrack yeah. is also very nice. I, I love like the sort of electronic sound of it, I guess. Yeah, I think the film also does a good job of like sort of like showing its dystopia right like the the fascism the fascism of the judges like comes through very clearly in the film where they just kind of like kill people like if anyone kind of like disobeys them they'll just like kill them and like <laughs> which was the purpose the original purpose of the judge dread comic was to critique that like the fascism of law enforcement and it it's it's done really well here yeah. and into and it's it it um Along with its source material, you can see the irony in the Judge Dredd character because his his lines are so absurd. Like, yeah, their he, stuffiness is played for laughs yeah. here. Um, Irvin de- like delivers the lines perfectly. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. and he yeah. never takes off his helmet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he never has to. This is like this big visor, right? Like yeah, yeah. His whole face. Okay. But, but then the the woman that's with him, she she doesn't wear a helmet through the movie, and so she like does all the like emoting in the right. film and does it really well. Yeah, um, and it, it contrasts well because Urban's like a very comical character because he's so serious and he's like so hardcore yeah. and like, rigidly <laughs> follows the rules. Yeah. and all that. Yeah. It, it was a Alex Garland had something to do with it, right? Yeah, so he's the writer of Ex Machina. Yeah, Ex Machina, a writer and director of Ex Machina, and also Annihilation. In Annihilation, and he wrote uh, Dread, and apparently did a lot of the directing, but is not credited as a, a director. Right. Um, and they shot it in like South Africa too, so everything's like really bright and like concrete, and so yeah. Cool. Um, it's it's a great film. I think it's an underrated film. I think people just assume it's a dumb action film, which it is. And it, it, but it, it <laughs> like it engages with that, and it's so well made. It's a b- beautiful film, actually. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I, yeah, it's great. Uh, I just love the way the judges fight in the movie, and I'm just really sad that it didn't do well enough to make a sequel. Uh, there's been mumblings of it since it gained cult status, but I don't think anything concrete has like stuck together. Yeah, and that makes me really sad because I just want to see more of like Carl Urban and the Rookie Judge, like you know, kicking ass. Yeah, I agree. I like this universe a lot, and I think it's yeah. unfortunate that we probably won't see it again. But yeah, we'll see. 
Uh, Garland also wrote uh, The Beach, the really? 90s. Well, he wrote the book, and then I think he wrote the screenplay that The Beach is. The Leonardo on, DiCaprio movie? The Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Wow. Yeah, so he got famous as the writer of that book. That book was like very popular, and then it got turned into a film, and then slowly he made his way into to film. Huh. I yeah. did not realize that. Yeah. I, I missed the boat there. Do you Have you seen The Beach? No, was it good? Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of I'd have to rewatch it. I okay. saw it when I was in high school, I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know if it would hold up for me. But was, it's like it's a lot about kind of like yuppie tourism and okay. It's and like, like early two thousands, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like post Titanic yeah. DiCaprio when he's being a serious actor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I've not seen it. Um, okay. Well, yeah. anyway, so you haven't oh. seen the beach? No. Charles? no. One other fun thing I noted about Dread was they have a few scenes where they shrink the frame of the movie yes. so that the 3D can actually leave the frame of the movie. And it's oh. such a fun <laughs> effect. I love when movies do that. Yeah. And I think the only other movie I've seen that does this is the Ghostbusters remake. Yeah. Avatar did it, I think. Did Avatar do it? I think Avatar did I don't it. recall. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's such a fun effect. Like yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little cheesy because it's like playing up the 3D novelty of the movie. But yeah. I love just... The extra like but they're, they're using the medium like well yeah because yeah like they do a lot with the 3D and it like it looks good it like it helps the story like <laughs> like it's in service of the movie it's yeah. not like to just like put it was people used in the intelligently seats. yeah, yeah. yeah. whereas so. it's usually tacked on or usually something. just tacked on yeah. so they can charge yeah. a few extra bucks yeah. so you should watch it you should watch this film well, so okay it's, it's it's really good unfortunately. Yeah, on the big screen is the way to see it. I don't but. have a 3D TV either. I have a, a yeah. regular DTV. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, I saw a movie this week too. What'd you say? Actually, I saw a bunch of movies this week, but the best one was First Reformed. Um, it's the new. I've heard this is really good. It, it's the yeah. best movie I've seen all year. I oh. absolutely loved it. Um, it's it, Ethan Hawke's new movie. Uh, Paul Schrader directed it. Uh, the premise is that it, Ethan Hawke plays a priest for a very small parish in upstate New York, in Albany County. Not in Albany, the city, but in the county. So it's this rural setting. Um, he is approached by a parishioner who tells him that her husband needs to talk to him desperately, that he is in the dire straits. The Ethan Hawke character meets with this husband. He says that his wife is pregnant and he doesn't think it is ethical to bring, in, to bring a child into the world because of climate change. And the movie goes from there. Um, so to say any more would be something of a spoiler. But it, what I liked about it was that it deals with faith and the what happens when faith and hopelessness collide. And it takes that seriously. So it's a Paul Schrader movie. So the comparisons to Taxi Driver are inevitable, um, but not misplaced here. The, this Ethan Hawke character, the, the character's name is uh, Reverend Toller. Um, goes on a journey and he becomes gradually more and more involved with the radical environmentalism that this parishioner that he is counseling is very deeply involved with. Um, there's a conflict between his very small kind of tourist level church and the giant mega church in hometown that is run by Cedric the Entertainer who <laughs> makes an appearance in this movie. Didn't realize that guy was still around. Um, but it, it's really uh, Paul Schrader returning to the top of his game. It's a brilliantly shot, brilliantly written movie. It takes, it, it reminds me somewhat of Melancholia. Have you seen Melancholia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, because it takes its depression 
both seriously and treats it with the appropriate gravity and is a movie that is about hopelessness without necessarily actually being hopeless. Hmm. Um, and it is, it is complicated. Another one with a very surprising and perplexing ending. Uh, I remember I saw it at Angelica up on Houston and the lady behind me right after the movie ended abruptly and unexpectedly said, that was a really strange movie. And she didn't <laughs> say that in a way that sounded complimentary. Um, so it's, yeah. it's the kind of movie where people say that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I think that it's, it's quite possibly his best performance of his career. It's the best performance in a very long time from him. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. I absolutely love this movie. It's called First Reformed, um, and everybody should go watch it um, immediately. Yeah, it was super good. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, your pick, Crossman, what are we going to watch? Something good? Uh, yeah, I would like to watch A League of Their Own. Okay, great. Let's watch A League of Their Own. We have not done enough sports movies. It's a good summer movie. It is a good summer movie, and it's a good movie. Um, so right. great. League of Your Own. Their Own. Um, thank you for watching, or listening, everybody. If you like the show, please share it. It makes a difference. Um, we got a lot of hits from Leeds in the UK <laughs> this last week, so I don't know if that's SoundCloud being odd, or if we actually have a ton of listeners in England. Um, if we do, thank you for listening. <laughs> um, and please tell us how you found the show, because that was very surprising. Um, but we appreciate all our listeners, and if you like the show, tell people about it. Join us next week for A League of Their Own. <laughs>